For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's a Wednesday, folks, halfway through the week. It is May the 18th, year of our Lord. 2022 continues to roll along. We got plenty to do today on Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us, whether you're listening, watching, however you're with us. Hope you're subscribing, and thank you for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time. We have primary results, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Oregon, Idaho, a couple states out west. Some real big ticket items, some really important races. We'll get to those in just a little bit. Uh, Also, uh, there's a story out, as always, what's the most trending social media-wise? What story's breaking through? It might surprise you. No, it's not Elon Musk. No, it's not Joe Biden. No, it's not abortion. It's not the war on Ukraine. It's not even inflation or COVID. Might surprise you what the number one trending story is. We'll cover that in just a little bit. Uh, our end of the show segment, we always try to do something uplifting. This is a great one. Man out in Utah raising money for a great charity. Doing it by crossing Utah seven miles an hour at a time on a lawnmower. Great story. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Also, recurring guest, one of our favorites, great guy, Eric Garcia, good friend of the program, great journalist. Uh, he covers Congress for The Independent, and he's an MSNBC contributor. Also has wrote a great book on autism called We Are Not Broken that you should all be reading and sharing. Paperback will be coming out soon. Going to cover a couple of different topics with him. We had a viral story of a nonverbal uh, spectrum person who was the valedictorian and used a digital device to speak at her graduation that got some pushback we'll ask eric about the things that got into that we'll get into some things about how we should cover folks like that talk about terms like ableism we'll also have him put on his congressional hat what's going on in congress and he's a diehard unc chapel hill grad which means we can talk some nc politics with him like how senator tom tillis called down the code red on madison cawthorn by the way madison cawthorn one and done. He is out of Congress. We can all breathe a little easier. That that unworthy person will no longer stain the halls of power in D.C. We'll talk about all that with Eric Garcia, a journalist, great guy, good friend in just a little bit. But first, I want to start with something uh, a little big picture. You know, we talk about turning down the noise of the news cycle on our program. When we set out to start doing her tell, we did it because some of the stuff we wanted covered in media, we weren't finding. So instead of complaining about it, we decided to do something about it. We just went out and did it ourselves. And along with a lot of help from our friends and people we've had contacts and connections with over the years. But I want to talk about uh, the way some folks in media do their business, uh, especially talking heads, especially personality based content. And it's something that we try to do the opposite of here. Let me explain what I'm talking about. There is a method 
to doing news media, especially on really, really loud topics. Take something really divisive like abortion, like the stuff going on in the school system, like immigration. The way you can really get attention and the way you can move the needle and the way you can, let's just call it what it is, folks. You can make a lot of money and get a lot of attention doing it is you don't cover the mainstream of thought. You don't cover where most folks are or even the spectrum of where most folks in America are. You know, the good faith people, the average folks, how most quote unquote normal people think or feel or discuss a topic. They have a wide range that you would call normal ways folks think about that. That's not what some of these folks do. I go back to that FDR term from his uh, D-Day speech, the D-Day prayer, some people call it. He called them unworthy schemers. I think it's such a great term. Here's a view that you may be dealing with an unworthy schemer. Are they always dealing with the mainstream of how most people think and feel and look at, are they always pulling out the extremes, you know, the outliers? Are they always pointing out the one or two or three examples that ought to prove the rule of how something really is, but they want that extreme example to seem like it's the norm? That's how you otherize people. That's how you get people fired up. That's how you convince people that the republic is falling and the world is ending and everything is horrible. You cover the extremes. You cover the exceptions and try to get people to think that's how everybody is. And then you start otherizing people by saying that's how everybody that doesn't agree with me thinks or approves of or wants us to all become or they're going to try to make us just like them. It's not true. This is like viewing the world backwards through a telescope. You ever look through a telescope through the wrong end? You can't tell what's going on. It distorts the view. But that's what this is. When you're using the extremes to prove that everybody's like that, it's screwing up your perception, especially your media perception of the world. What you ought to be doing is seeing where most folks are and then looking outward at those extremes so that you can tell that, hey, that's an extreme. Yes, it's probably something we should deal with but it keeps an improper perspective. That's not how a lot of talking heads are dealing with things. That's not how a lot of news media outlets are dealing with things. They want you to think that the worst examples and the worst people are the biggest deals. And it's just not so. We can do polls after polls, like the loudest talking head on cable news. They talk about, well, he's got 4 million viewers. Well, NPR radio has got 22 million. We can have a lot of fun with the numbers, but keep things in perspective, especially things get really, really loud. So that's why on Hertel, we talk about global issues. We talk about national issues, and we still talk about local things like charity events. You need all of that to have a proper perspective on what's going on. So when something is an extreme outlier, we can cover it. We can draw lessons from it. We can have application from it. But we can also say, this is an outlier. This isn't how it always is. And we don't try to paint other people, other places, other things as all being just like that. That's lazy. It's dishonest. And that's how our news media gets really, really noisy without doing any informativeness at all. And we're not going to do that here. We try our best not to. Keep that in mind when you hear talking heads or commentators or a TV show or whatever the case may be, that if they're talking about an extreme and trying to convince you that that's the norm, you're probably getting took for a ride. Perspective is important. And it's how we will do a better job of discerning our times together. We're going to get into the primary coverage next. Eric Garcia later on the program. Lots more Herd Tell right after this.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Ah, welcome back to Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. So glad you're joining us. Quickly running down the primary events of yesterday, the two big ticket items, North Carolina and Pennsylvania. North Carolina turned out to be pretty anticlimactic. Uh, Congressman Ted Budd ran away and hid with that one, uh, defeating uh, former Governor Pat McCrory in the GOP Senate primary for that state. Uh, the final tally, he got up around 58%. It wasn't close, somewhat surprisingly. This is a race that I was wrong about from the go. Uh, Ted Budd ran a very unconventional campaign. Remember, when he first got President Trump's endorsement at the GOP convention in North Carolina last year, everybody was shocked about that. Most of the, even the hardcore Trump folks were kind of upset about it because he didn't tell anybody when he did it. He seemed to pick it out of thin air. Well, Congressman Ted Budd ran an unconventional campaign, mostly on that endorsement and didn't really start doing heavy campaign stuff in TV until late, other than letting third party folks like Club for Growth run a whole bunch of ads. He was right. I was wrong. He won. I actually directly asked him about this when I interviewed Ted Budd a couple of weeks ago for the Big Talker, our radio partner. And he said, we trust our process. We're going to go to all the counties. We trust our ground game. We trust our endorsement and we're going to win. He was right, and he's done so. Uh, he will go on to face uh, Sherry Beasley, who was a former state Supreme Court justice. She easily won her primary. One interesting note here, though, our buddy uh, Eric Cunningham over at Elections Daily noted she kind of underperformed in a lot of these primary numbers. Now, the general election, the turnout will be a little bit different, of course, but we'll see what happens. There's something to keep an eye on there. A lot of people would put Ted Budd as a slight favorite in that race. Pennsylvania, very loud. The race for the GOP primary Senate, Oz, Dr. Oz, um, is narrowly ahead in that race. It's too close to call as of the time we're recording this. David McCormick, uh, 31.32 to 31.11. He's got roughly about a 2,000-vote lead, give or take. This is moving rapidly. Uh, we will see how this shakes out. Kathy Barnett made a lot of noise at the end. She ended up with about 24% there. Uh, big news that we've been covering here on Herd Tell. Uh, our friend uh, Michael Siegel talked about this. Doug Mastriano, a man who has no business being anywhere near elected office, he not only won the GOP primary for governor, he lapped the field 44%. Uh, he will be taking on uh, Shapiro, who e Josh Shapiro, who easily won and ran unopposed. Uh, we will see how that shakes out. Something to keep an eye on. 
on the Democratic side, John Fetterman, we talked about the fact that he had a stroke. There's now news that he's having a pacemaker put in. He's actually still in the hospital, but he easily won his primary, almost 60% of the vote there. Connor Lamb, a continued uh, not good showing for him, what was once considered a rising star. He got soundly beaten. John Fetterman will be the Democratic nominee in the general election for Senate. Uh, we will see who his GOP counterpart will be. Again, uh, Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, he's up about 2,000 votes. They're going to have to do a lot of counting because Pennsylvania is late in how they report. We'll see how that shakes out. There's some races out west. Uh, Idaho and Oregon, they're still tallying votes as we record this episode. We'll update you if anything important happens on any of those. More Herd Tell right after this. Welcome back to Hertel. He is back, and he's one of our favorites. Good friend of ours, Eric Garcia. He's an ace reporter. He covers Congress and stuff, but he's also got a great book out. Uh, we Are Not Broken about autism. If you haven't read it yet, go find it. It's excellent. He did a long-form podcast with us right here on Hertel. Go back and listen to that. One of the best ones we've ever done. In the top three listen-to podcasts we have ever done. Eric, how are you today, my friend? Doing all right. How are you doing, my friend? I always enjoy talking to you. We're going to talk Congress and politics and your day job here in just a little bit. But I want to start on uh, this disability thing for a second because we had a viral video go around. You commented it on Twitter. I commented on it on Twitter. Um, This young lady, Elizabeth Bonker, um, who was the valedictorian of her class, she got to give the speech. The thing is, with her particular uh, disability set, She's nonverbal or limited verbal. I'll let you set up the story here because the way it kind of went viral and it was a feel good story and the vast majority of people treated it that way. And but there was an element. So I want you to set this up for what this young lady did and what it meant for her to give a valedictorian speech in the first place. Yeah. So it looks like this young lady, her name is Elizabeth Bonker. She graduated valedictorian. She's a non-speaking autistic uh, woman. And um, she apparently you know, had trouble autism is a, is a communication disorder and a lot of autistic people, uh, you know, can't speak. And apparently she was able to do this because she had a communication device. But the thing that stood out to me was she talked about was, I think that it was framed as a feel good story as, wow, look at this autistic person who graduated college. And that's amazing. And I'm not taking away from that. that is amazing. But like, when I think about it, I'm like, why, why do we think that's amazing? Well, it's because we don't think that autistic people can go to college. And she specifically said is because she had the help of a support worker who, or a support person who, you know, and offered this service for typing devices. Unfortunately, a lot of autistic people don't get those devices and don't get those tools. So I think that is one of the other things. And I think the, the other thing that stood out to me was uh, Ms. Bonker mentioned that uh, her principal said that R word uh, couldn't be valedictorian. And I think that 
it was framed as a way of, oh, wow, she overcame being this. But I, was, I remember being really kind of disturbed by that. I was like, this person, her, her principal said that? Uh, excuse me? Um, so, 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 I mean, I, I think that it was, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to come off as being, as, as taking away from her. She obviously accomplished an amazing thing, but I think what I would, what it ended up feeling was like, I think that autistic people I know who shared it, shared it for very different reasons than the general public. A lot of people on Twitter was like, I'm not crying, you're crying, or this is so inspirational, things like that. And I, and I was, it, it, the coverage felt almost lacking. That's not to say some uh, NPR did a great example of like what the program she was doing and what she wants to do and what she wants to, you know, but, but a lot of it just felt like uh, filler kind of non-substantive. And that really kind of, I really didn't like the way that it was framed. Yeah. We talked about this when we covered your book on her tell and folks need to go back and listen to that conversation. I'm really proud of it. It was fantastic. But when you did your book, you talked to some of these families and these people that do this. I just don't think we've really set in how much technology opens doors like this for it. And it may, it stops where, you know, before like my mom's generation, she was a special ed teacher. It was all on the special ed teachers and the care providers to do this. You don't have to have any special training to get these people technology things that can do a lot of the lifting for you and really open up their world. Can't you? You do not need as much training or you don't, you don't need to necessarily be a specialist uh, it opens plenty of doors, but like when I tweeted this out, you know, like I got some responses about like how this is amazing. This is something that like is, is going to change kids' lives or, or, or autistic adults' lives. I was just talking uh, one young gentleman who everybody needs to know about. His name is Hari Srinivasan. This weekend, he just graduated from Cal. I interviewed him for my book. Uh, he is not speaking. Same deal. He, you know, for a long time, people didn't assume anything from him or didn't expect anything from him. He just graduated from Cal. He's now on the federal government's advisory committee uh, uh, for autism. Uh, unbelievably brilliant, unbelievably talented. And uh, he's a poet. He's a writer. Uh, and it, it was just that small thing of like this piece of technology and this service open countless doors for him. And I did, I did another, uh, I did another event in the Bay Area of California with another young man. Uh, I believe his name is Benjamin Bro, who, uh, who, who is not speaking and he does videos uh, where, where he's not speaking. So these, these tools can do tons of things. It's just a matter of how available they are and how much, uh, you, you know, how much funding it is. Cause it still is, it's, you know, there's, there's scarce resources. So like, the technology exists now. It's a matter of putting it in as many people's hands as possible. You use the term, and I've used it before in my writing, inspiration porn. Uh, this this dovetails with other kind of porn that I've used, like poverty tourism porn that we have yeah. in my beloved West Virginia. We have a tendency to drive by these stories, and you mentioned it. It's an inspirational story. People do that. I'm not crying. You're not crying. That's all well and good. I think where this gets important, though, is taking that next step of going, and you brought it up when you did your little tweet thread about this, of, okay, but let's talk about the practical parts that made this work, because that's where this stuff really starts changing. And then this shouldn't be abnormal. This should be a normal thing, because these people should have this ability and these resources all along. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, you, you know, because like, I mean, I think when I went when I, to your point, when I went to West Virginia, even for my book and about about poverty porn, I was really adamant 
about not being uh, condescending toward West Virginia. And I think it's because I'm a, I'm a person with a disability and I've seen like when people kind of commodify it. And I should say the term inspiration porn was created by the late Stella Young, uh, one of the um, who passed away a long time ago. She was, a, she was a disability rights activist. And I think that the thing about it, you know, the term inspiration porn or poverty porn is that it's not meant for the person who the, who's the subject of it. It's meant for the consumer to consume either to say, oh, look at these poor, these poor people in West Virginia, or look at this poor disabled person who is so inspiring. And I think my, my whenever I, you know, because a lot of people, because um, like the word inspiration is really strange, isn't it? Because like a lot of autistic people have told me after I wrote my book, you know, you've inspired me. And I'm like, great. I'm, I'm really happy that I'm able to provide that example. But like, I think what a lot of people say to me who aren't autistic or who aren't disabled, I was like, you're so inspiring. I'm like, okay, I inspired you to do what, you know, what do you, did, did I inspire you to just deal with your daily lives or did I, did I inspire you to change things or did I inspire you to look at autistic people differently? Did I inspire you to make things better for autistic or disabled people? What did I inspire you to do? So inspiration is nice, but like, you know, I think about it, it's like inspire, it's like put in breath, like you, you breathe in life into something that's literally like the roots of the word. So like, I think about it, it's like, okay, what did I breathe in life for you to do, you know? Talking to Eric Garcia, our good friend, great reporter. The book he wrote on autism is We Are Not Broken. It's fantastic. You can find it anywhere. Just Google it. It'll pop right up. Um, let's do a little bit of nomenclature while we're on the subject, though. We're seeing the word more and more ableism, uh, both yes. in reporting. People are pushing back on it a little bit, but you're the expert on this stuff. Define that word so that it's properly used, because I've seen it used both ways, where it's used as a real good tool to kind of dig into stuff. I've also seen that term abused quite a bit, especially online yeah. and social media. Define that word and how we should and shouldn't be using it, if you would, please. Yeah. Sir. So I, you know, I am, you know, I do a lot of work on this, but like I, I, I borrow from what, so like I, I'm not, you know, this is from what other people have said. Ableism to me and from what a lot of other people have said is any type of barrier that prevents a person with a disability from living life in a way that any person without a disability could. So this could be anything from uh, the lack of an elevator in a, um, in, you know, in a hotel building, or it could be uh, the lack of accommodations in a school, uh, you, you know, the lack of disability of enough disability services in a school. It could be uh, a, uh, a television show using the R word or depict using a kind of demeaning depiction of a person with a disability. Ableism is, uh, is basically anything that perpetuates the barriers that uh, people with disabilities have. So that is a very, very broad statement. And I keep it intentionally broad because there's a lot of people who argue different things who are smarter than me. I'm still learning about it. But I think that's what I, that, that to me is as broad of a term as possible, I think. Yeah. Eric Garcia joining us. Let's talk about 
something that is very pertinent to current events when it comes to disability rights. Uh, voting is underway right now. One yes. thing that came out of the COVID moves to change voting laws that was kind of unintentional was it actually opened up a lot of disability type stuff for voters because it expanded yes. how people voted. I, I will admit, I never really thought about this this much until 2016. I got out of the hospital right before the election. I went to vote. It was actually the first time I'd really been out of the house after being in the hospital for multiple months. I had to use the ADA station because I couldn't stand up. I still had tubes in me. I had the backpack with the pumps and all that. And the poll worker didn't really know what to do with me because they weren't well. And I don't want to bang on them. They just weren't well trained. You know, if I, I'm like, look, it's surgically attached. No, I can't put my bag down. This kind of thing is like I had to sit down to vote. It changed my perspective totally. You've talked about it before. This is going to be the first election after a lot of those COVID restrictions, but there was a lot of disability positive things that came out of that that we need to apply to elections, isn't there? Yes. So the interesting thing, a lot of people didn't know that I didn't know until uh, until reports came out. And I believe there was I, I have the report in front of me that uh Disability turnout increased six percentage points to 62 percent in 2020. Now, this isn't to say that uh, there weren't barriers. I think of the late, uh, she just passed away, Cheryl Grossman, who was a disability rights activist not too far from here in Maryland. Uh, you know, for example, because people with chronic illnesses couldn't go out, they had to post their ballot on the door and that might have compromised, you know, the secrecy of the ballot, but for a lot of people with disability, mail-in ballots uh, or drop boxes uh, opened up, uh, literally opened up doors and barriers that otherwise did not exist. Incidentally enough, there was, uh, I, I, was uh, I know a few people with disabilities who orchestrated during the Georgia runoffs, orchestrated drives for like, like literally driving people with disabilities with mobility impairments to go drop off their, their ballots and drop boxes. So that was one of those things that in a weird way, in the, while COVID, COVID was such a, it was, it was such a double-edged sword for so many people with disabilities, because on one end, you had students with disabilities not being able to get their, uh, their services through their IEPs. At the same time, a lot of college students with disabilities were able to, their, their, their classrooms became much more accessible. On one end, it was, you know, a lot of people in congregate care settings died, uh, and the, or, or, with, or a lot of people with, you know, comorbidities died before the vaccine came out. On the other, it was, uh, you, you know, you had an increase in, uh, in disability voting turnout. So it was so, so you know, it, it was such a, it was such a difficult time for a lot of people with disabilities, you know, as a whole, and the pandemic still is. But that was one of the most fascinating things was you saw this uh, incredible uh, show of force for voters with disabilities when typically, as you said before, there are no, there, you know, a lot of uh, poll stations still aren't as ADA, ADA accessible. Uh, a good friend of ours, somebody you and I both follow, Grace Panetta, she's noted that a lot of Native American polling stations uh, don't, aren't necessarily uh, ADA accessible. It's not because of uh, any kind of malice or anything like that, but it's just because they don't, Native American communities often don't have the resources. So this is a real thing. Yeah. And getting to experience to my own shame, I'll put my hand up and wear that hat. Uh, I should have thought of it ahead of time, but when you experience it, you notice yeah. it really, really like 
I can't stand here for five minutes and read this ballot. I got to, I got to sit down and just little stuff like that. And mine was medical. So it was temporary, but still Uh, something to keep your mind on, make sure you're checking on your friend. This is a good point to do a public service announcement too. If you have friends and family members with disabilities, go with them to vote. They may need a little bit of help that is allowed under the laws. Uh, Make sure you do that. Eric Garcia joining us. We're going to take a quick break on her tell. We come back, going to make him put his day job hat back on, talk a little Congress, uh, talk about what our Congress critters are up to midterm elections, all that good stuff. The great Eric Garcia, our good friend, more her tell with him right after this. I drop bombs here. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Eric Garcia, ace reporter. He writes for The Independent. He contributes all over the place. Uh, we've talked about his uh, passion before. Now we're going to talk about his day job. He covers Congress. Just turn down the noise force for a second. We know it's a midterm election. We know we got some really big stuff going on. Abortion, Ukraine. Uh, now we're going to probably do a gun debate again because of the, the mass shooting in Buffalo. What's the feeling in Congress about how the midterms are going? Because those folks don't lie. Uh, they're the ones with the skin in the game. We're hearing a lot of talk about front benchers, back benchers, uh, different factions. What, what's the mood in the halls of Congress right now? So I think right now, so last week there was the vote on, um, there, there was the vote on uh, the Women's Health Protection Act, which was Democrats legislation on Roe v. Wade. Uh, basically, they said to codify it. Republicans said it went too far and they said it went beyond Roe. Uh, uh, Senator Susan Collins and Senator Lisa Murkowski said it, you know, they just wanted the strict, straight protections for Roe. So, but what's funny about it is that there was almost this feeling of this was a meaningless vote. Not a lot of senators were sitting in their desks during the vote. You know, people were filing in and out. You, you didn't get the feeling that this was very high stakes. And I think that for a lot of, I think I think for that reason, there was almost kind of this feeling. I asked Senator Gary Peters, I was like, do you think this, uh, will this have any kind of effect? I said, the only senator who you guys really want to get on, on record is Ron Johnson because he's, because the other states, he's Senator Richard Burr's retiring, Senator uh, Pat Toomey's retiring. Those are the only two real flippable seats. And he says, we're going to find out. So there was almost kind of this feeling of, eh, you know, like this, this, this has no Republicans kind of well, that's Democrats. And then Democrats were kind of like, we know that we, we know that this isn't going to pass. We know there's no chance of it passing. And that was even before Joe Manchin uh, came out against it. So it didn't even need a filibuster because it was 40, 51, 49. Uh, so, so, so there was that. I think the other thing that everybody's focusing on right now is there is, you know, talk about passing the Ukraine aid. It passed uh, overwhelmingly uh, on the House side. It was going to pass on uh, last week, uh, I think on Thursday or, fr- uh, Thursday or Friday, then Rand Paul blocked it. Uh, it's a $40 billion package to Ukraine. And he just wanted, uh, he wanted to add like some new parts right on the floor. He did not even in committee, but I think there's this feeling in the midterm. I think Democrats recognize, okay, we might lose the house. It looks pretty clear that we might. So we're going to just focus on doing what we want, you know, past stuff we want to do right now. Of course they had to focus on the uh, right now. They're already doing legislation on the baby formula shortage. I don't know how, if even if the legislation were to pass, if it would go through the Senate, 
because uh, there's talk about you know importing uh, increasing imports from uh, from Latin America countries. But again, it feels like a lot. The thing of it is, is that you're starting to see people go from governing mode to campaign mode. You're going to see that a lot in the coming months as primaries roll around. Uh, tomorrow is the beginning. Uh, tomorrow, North Carolina and Pennsylvania have their primaries uh, with. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, North Carolina's most famous freshman, Madison Cawthorn, is up in a tough primary. Uh, so, so right now, I think there's kind of this feeling of go, doing the stuff they need to do, which is pass Ukraine aid. They already passed the omnibus spending bill. They're trying to pass a COVID relief package. And there's kind of just this feeling of we need to pass stuff to at least show our voters we're trying to do something, but it's not really going to get done. You're going to see that you see the same thing with gun stuff. They're probably going to have a vote on the guns, uh, 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 one kind of vote on guns, but they know it's not going to pass with a 50-50 Senate. So. So lots of failure theater is what you're telling me here. Uh, failure, that's a good that's a good line. Failure theater. It's it's and, and one of the things that I think is that a lot of Democrats are saying we want to at least show that we're trying. And I don't know how much that motivates Democratic voters, because if you're a Democratic voter and you see both houses, you have both houses of Congress and the White House, you're kind of looking at like, uh, well, what in the Dickens is going on? Uh, I thought that, you know, we had a majority, but obviously there's the filibuster. Obviously, you have people like Joe Manchin and Cinema and even some moderates like Chris Coons and others. But like there's almost this feeling of what gives. Meanwhile, Republican turnout is already going to be high because it's a midterm. It's just a matter of is it going to, you know, so so I'm not convinced that it's going to juice up Democratic turnout, at least for now, at least what polling says for now. Yeah. uh, Eric Garcia, he's the congressional beat cover for the independent along with a lot of other places he writes uh you just mentioned north carolina one of those senators a lot of people may not even think of or talk about turns out he's been driving a whole lot of the news cycle the last few weeks you mentioned madison cawthorn uh did you know tom tillis was this much of a killer i knew he was a killer back when because so i got my start covering uh covering news back in, uh back when i was a student at the university of north carolina uh, and covering the General Assembly, like because I took a class where you had to cover the General Assembly because it wasn't too far away. Uh, and I kind of knew that Tom Tillis was a killer because he was back in 2010. He was the one who raised all the money for and recruited all those candidates who helped Repo- North Carolina Republicans take back both houses of the legislature for like the first time since 1898 and helped them win a trifecta. Lynn McCrory won, who he's, he's known for a while uh, in, in 2012. He is often, uh, you know, he has his, you know, politically he's very vulnerable. His, his negatives have always been very high. Uh, even when, when he ran against Hagan, obviously that was a blood feud. And then even when he lost to Cal Cunningham, uh, his negative, he, he, you know, people's attitudes about Tom Tillis never really changed. But he, but he's, you know, he's a silent killer. And when he wants to be, when he wants to be ruthless, he can be ruthless. Uh, I've said in the past he should be NRS. If Republicans were smart, they'd make him NRSC chairman because he knows how to win the suburban areas in North Carolina. Uh, and that's obviously a big place where Republicans are lacking right now. He's obviously a lot more astute. Uh, he comes from a suburban area, Cornelius, which is a suburb of Charlotte. Um, and, and yeah, like it doesn't surprise me that he's decided to go nuclear on uh, on Madison Cawthorn. And I have a piece that came, just came out this morning where I talk a little bit more about why he want, why he decided to go in on Cawthorn. 
And just to be clear here, I think Cawthorn deserves every bit of this because he shouldn't have been in there in the first place. But it's pretty clear that I, I think it's somewhat organic. But whoever called the code red down on Madison Cawthorn, I think a lot of those roads go to Tom Tillis and his network. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that one of the things that happened was, if you remember, uh, he tried switching districts uh, and uh, when they did, when North Carolina did redistricting and then speaker, it was a district that Speaker Tim Moore, who was Tillis' successor, was going to try to uh, fill and Cawthorn called him a go along to get along, uh, which is weird because as long as I've known Tim Moore, he's he may not be MAGA, but he's conservative. He was the guy behind the bathroom. He's not he's shy just, and subtle, and you don't have to go looking for him when you cover North Carolina state politics. No, he, he's he's very conservative. So when Cawthorn called him a go-along to get along, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> this this guy's conservative. Um, but but I think that that was, that was the beginning. And, of course, he that was a Charlotte dist- area district. And Tillis was like, okay, you tried to encroach on my home turf. And you're trying to undo this uh, machine that I've built. And credit to Tillis and to Art Pope and Phil Berger and to a lesser extent, Pat McCrory, that we kind of more rode the wave than he actually did anything to, to facilitate the win. Uh, they are responsible for build, making North Carolina, turning it from a purple state to a pinkish state. And to, to almost, I'd argue, a red state in the next few years. Uh, so, so I think that Tillis was kind of like, okay, you get, you okay, you, okay, tough guy, you, you, you know, you, you want to do this? Okay, we're gonna, you know, you mentioned uh, yesterday on Twitter, you mentioned the the Al Pacino, Glenn Gary, Glenn uh, Glenn Ross uh, monologue. He's like, how dare you speak amongst men, you child? Yeah, he uh, Madison's getting a lecture in how politics actually work by people who are masters at making the machinery go. Uh, yes. And by the way, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. May he be gone from our politics forever. I hope he gets some help for himself. He's clearly not yeah. all there. Uh, let, let's talk about something else real quick. We're going to do a lot of banging on the Democrats in this midterm just because historically, yeah. cyclically, they're going to have a rough year. They're going to have a rough I year. I still think, though, just in the interest of being a little fair here, just because they win ain't going to solve all their problems. I think the Republicans are going to have a mess on their hands come January when the leadership posts come up. What's the feeling? Because Kevin McCarthy, it keeps bubbling up and bubbling up and bubbling. He does not. Ha- he may have the votes, but he doesn't have the confidence of this caucus, does he? Well, you just look last week with the vote on Ukraine aid. Fifty-seven Republicans voted against Ukraine aid. A lot of it was the usual suspects. Um, but like, incidentally enough, somebody you know, Virginia Representative Virginia Fox, who's a longtime Republican legislator from North Carolina, before the vote, I asked, I was like, "How are you going to vote on this?" And she eventually voted yes, but she says, "I know when it, when it'll actually vote, when when the vote will actually come." And that, to me, uh, you know, Representative Rodney Davis also later voted for it. I caught him in the hallways drinking a can of beer as he was leaving Scalise's office. Um, <laughs> which shows you how seriously they take it. Uh, he was just like, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll figure out how I vote when it comes. There's definitely this feeling that McCarthy doesn't have the support of the base or the support of the, the most conservative voices. And I should say this was before um, the, the Jonathan Martin, Alex Burns book and the audio that was leaked about him saying, you know, Trump should resign or I'm going to tell him to resign. There was always this feeling that he's not. <sighs> there was always this feeling that he wasn't the closer to use an NBA analogy because it's the NBA. You know, he's not going to be the guy who you need in game seven. Um, he's more like 
James Harden on the Philadelphia 76ers now. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I say that with every, you know, subtlety and connotation that you can imagine. Uh, so so there, there's just this feeling that he's not the guy. He's not going to be the person who can facilitate things. He's not the guy who can uh, put up and mount a strong opposition to the Biden administration. He's not going to be seen as somebody who could partner with Mitch McConnell or if by some miracle Democrats hold on to the Senate, Chuck Schumer. Uh, he's not seen as the guy you, to borrow from another uh, Aaron Sorkin, to borrow from an Aaron Sorkin movie, he's not a guy you, you want on that wall, so to speak. Okay, and that's all well and good. I agree with everything you just said. Um, Walter Jones, where are you when you need you? Y'all go, y'all go Google that one. The last time Kevin McCarthy came up, they had to go get Paul Ryan, uh, and offer him the plan and yeah. the Walter Jones production. We'll talk about that some other time, but that's all well and good. You got to have somebody that can beat him in the election though. Is there anybody that's going to beat him in a con- caucus election for the speakership? You know, there, there are definitely some people I've thought about, you know, I think representative Jim Banks, uh, who's chairman of the Republican study committee, uh, he is somebody who who has it. I think uh, I think Representative Steve Scalise. A lot of people in the conference like him. Uh, obviously, he was shot during uh, during a congressional baseball practice um, by some guy who like said he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and then Bernie denounced him on the floor. But so so so. Uh, but he he was paralyzed for a little bit, I believe, and he had to use a walker. Now he can walk. But uh, Scalise is somebody who a lot of people in the conference like. Uh, the, you, you know, there, there's always talk about somebody like Jim Jordan doing it. I don't think Jordan would actually want to lead the conference because uh, <laughs> that'd mean he'd actually have to work um, and he couldn't just, you know, puff his chest out. So the, the, but the, the question is, th- this is the ultimate problem with any of the um, people who move up. Uh, in Republican leadership, because John Boehner started out his career as a bomb thrower in Congress uh, and ended up by the end of it being, uh, of course, being education help committee chair, uh, education committee chairman and did no child left behind with Ted Kennedy. He was seen as a heretic and he was ultimately booted out. Paul Ryan started out as kind of a hellraiser with Mike Pence coming up and they were they, they got elected around the same time. They, then eventually he was seen as insufficiently conservative. The difficulty for any um Republican leader, and it's different a little bit for the Democrats, is that eventually you would, by virtue of having to govern and by virtue of having a Democratic president, you're going to be seen as insufficiently conservative. You're going to be seen as insufficient. You're going to be seen as a rhino. You're going to be seen as any of those things. And eventually people are going to get mad at you. And that's what led to John Boehner getting booted and Paul Ryan eventually saying, forget this, I quit. Um, That's going to be that. So so the, the question about who would fit that mold it's difficult to say because even if that, even if, you know, and it looks like it would be a guy, uh, it might be, you know, some people talk about Elise Stefanik, but I don't think she has the votes yet. Uh, you, you know, but any guy or, or girl who gets to that point, eventually be, by virtue of being in leadership, you're going to be seen as a rhino. So I don't know if anybody else could mount that kind of challenge. I think the best person, honestly, I think is Jim Banks, who's chairman of the, of the study committee, but that's just me. Yeah, and uh, keep an eye on Elise Stefanik because she didn't sell her soul just to be on the third post in the Republican no, Congress. She she's didn't. got ambitions. Uh, but that's another story for another day. And that's also, by the way, why she's getting all the attack and flack with the New York thing, too. People want to knock, go ahead and knock her down now. 
lot of machinations. Our friend Eric Garcia, he does great reporting work. He writes at The Independent. He also contributes to other places like MSNBC and all over. Um, but before you pump all those things, make sure you tell everybody where you can get the book. We started out talking about autism and spectrum and disabilities because it's such a great book. I've read it. I've had you on before about it. Uh, tell folks when they have find the book and then tell them about your social media and the political stuff. The page. Sure does. thing. Uh, we're not broken. Changing the autism conversation. It's out of bookstores. Now we got the paperback coming out August 2nd. Uh, you can pre-order those now. Uh, uh, the first people who post the, and I'll, we'll, I'll just do it. Let's just do a little giveaway. Why not? We? Uh, the first, uh, the first 50 people, the first, uh, yeah, 50 people who post a link uh, of this of this podcast uh, and a pre-order of the book will get a signed nameplate from me. Just DM me and we'll do that. You can follow me on social media at Eric M. Garcia. You can follow on, to- on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Eric M. Garcia 14. Uh, yeah, and I always love coming on here. I always love talking with Andrew. So Yeah, let's just go ahead and pencil it in, man. That paperback comes out. We'll have you on and we'll talk exclusively about the book because I want to update some of those stories. We've actually become Twitter buddies with a few of those folks, which is just too cool in my book. So you can update the stories on some of those families because those were amazing people that made the book. amazing. Those were absolutely they're amazing people. I still talk with a lot of them. Yeah, let's let's plan on doing it. Uh, Eric Garcia, one of our favorites. Appreciate your work, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. back to her tell just a quick note here uh axios has some numbers out uh we do polls all the time here this is a little different one average number of social media interactions per published article by selected topic neil rothschild sarah fisher put this together uh the most uh published articles and topics for april 4th through may 16th so basically about a five six week period it's not even close the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Elon Musk came in second, Joe Biden third, abortion fourth, the Russia Ukraine war fifth, inflation sixth, and COVID 19. What does this tell us? Celebrity still sells. Politics is still a little bit of a niche thing to cover. And some of the really loud stuff pokes through, like the Elon Musk stuff. And abortion was down in fourth place. We talked about it before. It's not that abortion isn't important. It's just those trenches are well dug. You're not changing a lot of people's minds, so it's loud, but it's not really moving the needle because people aren't changing their minds on the subject. It's ugly. It's going to be messy for the next couple months, but there's other things going on in the world as well. Remember, social media ain't real life. It does reflect real life. People sure do like this Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial. I'll repeat what I said when TMZ asked me my opinion on it, and I gave them my 20-second soundbite on it. You have two broken, horrible people who, when they got together, became nuclearly broken, horrible people and brought out the absolute worst in each other. You want to parse out who was the worst between them. That's fine. You can do that. You're still going to wind up with a human being by any measurable standard. It's still a horrible, broken person. I hope they both get help for each other. But no, I'm not taking sides on that one. People sure love to cover it. More Hertel right after this.
I heard tell Joe, we always end on a good note. Here's a different one. Uh, let's go out to Utah. One Utah man is raising funds for charity in a very unique way by riding his lawnmower. This is ABC4 out in Utah. Uh, a Satiquin man, Scott Morgan, is taking his lawnmower on an interstate journey, driving the length of Utah to raise money for Ronald McDonald House charities of the Intermountain area. Morgan stopped by the Utah State Capitol on day three of his, quote, rolling for Ronald journey on Monday morning. The man plans to travel a total of 439 miles at a smooth rate of seven miles per hour. He was inspired to do this journey while mowing his lawn one day, realizing he wanted to help his community, but did not have a lot of money to do so. I've been very blessed to have children who have not needed pediatric care, said Morgan. I can't imagine the hardships some of these families go through. Ronald McDonald House Charities lessens their stress and provides housing, transportation, and food, whatever these families need, so these families can simply help their child heal. Morgan began his statewide journey at the Utah-Idaho border and is driving down Highway 89 through Kanab to the Utah-Arizona border. Fans can follow Morgan's journey on his Rolling for Ronald Facebook page when he stopped by the Capitol. He was welcomed by Carrie Romano, the CEO of Ronald McDonald House Charities, uh, and Michelle Gross, a mother who's waiting for a heart transplant for her 11-month-old daughter. We are very grateful for people like Scott Morgan, who's doing this amazing activity. It's been life-changing to see how great people are. Nobody is really prepared for situations like this, but we know that Ronald McDonald House Charities is there for us when we need it. Uh, that's a different way of doing it, but whatever gets it done, Ronald McDonald's house is a great charity for a long time, takes really good care of families so they can take care of their sick loved ones, seven miles an hour all the way through Utah, but it's a darn fine, pretty state. If you're going to do a lot of scenery and he'll have plenty of time to take it in good for him. That'll do it for her tell. We'll be back tomorrow for more. Make sure you're subscribing YouTube, all the podcasting platforms. Make sure you're not missing a single thing. Good talks every afternoon. Brand new Herd Tales every weekday, of course, twice on Sunday on the weekends, and wherever you and yours are. We hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. Do this again tomorrow for more Herd Tell. Take care. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.